Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. We're in episode 212, and today we are talking with a return guest that we had actually just recently and uh, already, already had him back, all right? So before we get to that, though, hey, we have a brand new free Facebook group. If you have not checked it out yet, make sure you stop by thespeakerlabgroup.com, thespeakerlabgroup.com. We'd love to connect with you over there, meet you, get to know you, place to connect with other speakers and get your questions answered, get feedback, support. There's over 10,000 speakers already in that group. So make sure you swing by, check it out. Again, you can find that directly over at thespeakerlabgroup.com, thespeakerlabgroup.com. So on episode 197, we had a speaker friend, Joey Coleman, on the show talking about his business. And uh, we wrapped up the episode uh, teasing, hey, Joey, you want to come back for part two on the topic we didn't even get to? And he's like, dude, I'm, I'm totally in. So today, Joey is back with us already here on episode 212. And uh, on this episode... We talk about Joey speaks a lot about customer experience, and he has a new book out called Never Lose a Customer Again, Turning Any Sale into a Lifelong Loyalty in 100 Days. And so we talk through an eight-step process of what to do before, during, and after an event to provide a great customer experience and why this stuff matters. Now, I'm personally, I'm extremely passionate about this because this is a large way that I built my speaking business. It was not by being the best speaker on the planet, but by really making sure that I took care of the client and provide a great experience for the client before, during, and after the event. So Joey really breaks this down in a tangible, practical way. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. I think you're going to get a lot out of this. So let's jump right into this, our conversation with Joey Coleman. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here, joined once again by Joey Coleman. And you're like, Joey Coleman, he was just here. Yes, he was just here. Repeat we, uh, performance. We, we uh, talked him into coming back for part two. We had him on episode 197. So if you haven't listened to that, make sure you go back and listen to that one. But uh, we had a topic that we were planning on discussing that. We didn't even get to it. So we are like, all right, you got to come back for more. So he he graciously agreed to that. So uh, welcome back. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm thrilled to be back, Grant. Thanks so much for having me back. And for those of you listening for round two, thanks for uh, coming back for more. We're going to have a good conversation today and talk a little bit more about how you can take some of the customer experience and customer retention things that I spend most of my day speaking about and apply them to your own business. All right, let's jump right into that. So you've got a new book that recently came out called Never Lose a Customer Again, Turn Any Sale into Lifelong Loyalty in 100 Days. And so... How does that relate to us as a speaker, right? Because obviously you're, just, you're speaking on customer experience and customer journey. And we want to, for any speaker, we want to book a client. We want to get that gig, but we also want that gig to turn into more gigs in the future and have them like us and want to work with us more. So kind of walk us through what the, what the process should be like. What are the things that we need to begin thinking through? I think there's a couple of things to think about. Number one, I think most speakers recognize that if an event has you to speak in year one, the likelihood of them having you back to keynote again in year two, 
there's a belief that that's very small. I actually think it's only small because most speakers decide that they want to do one and done and they don't want to come back and they don't spend the time cultivating that relationship. I say this respectfully, and I know I've fallen guilty of this myself over the years. You know, we get so excited about the speech we're giving and get put all our energy into that. And then the event ends and we go on to the next event. Yeah. And we don't do as much to cultivate the relationship with that meeting planner or that event organizer, that sponsor, the company, whoever brought us in to speak. And so I think uh, these principles of creating great experiences for your customers, most speakers do a pretty good job of up until the speech, but then they forget about all the opportunity after the speech to continue to create opportunity, uh, not only for themselves, but for their colleagues. And so I think there's a couple different ways that you can do that that will really set you apart from the typical speaker experience that an event organizer or meeting planner has. Okay. I want to talk about that for sure. So let's talk about the that idea that for a lot of events, they may want a different speaker in the future year. They may want some of the audience to turn over. They may want to, even if you killed it, they may be like, that was great. That was amazing. We are more than happy to have you back in three to five years. Right, um, right. If you're coming back for year two uh, and even future years, especially where the audience is the same, because in some events, uh, I, there's a, uh, I've done some speaking in the college orientation world. The audience is different every time. Totally. And so totally, they don't, yeah. they don't freshman, want to deal. If you're still there for freshman orientation, <laughs> the second year, we've got bigger problems than having the same speaker. <laughs> for sure. And they, like, they just didn't want to mess with bringing in a, a, we found a speaker we like, let's just keep you coming back which is great for me. It's amazing as a speaker. You love those gigs, right? But in a corporate setting, those gigs are more rare, right? right? Because they're bringing back either in an annual meeting setting, it's the same employees or even in conferences. You know, I know I personally have conferences that I attend and there's a couple that I'll never miss. I keep going back year after year after year. And if they have the same speaker year after year, that can get a little less than exciting, Uh, dare I say, even boring. And so I, I think there's a couple ways. I think most speakers come at this from the philosophy of, well, I'll change my topic, Yeah. right? The problem with that is if you're trying to position yourself as having an expertise in one area and you're changing your topic, you're probably going to have to change it fairly significantly in order for the meeting planner or the conference organizer to believe that it's different. Right. If you kind of come at the same story from a different angle, they're going to be like, yeah, but we kind of, we kind of addressed that yeah, last year. And they're like, yeah. well, no, you didn't at all, but that's okay. So I do think if you want to come back the next years, you have to be looking at something completely different. And w- one of the best people I know in the industry at this is uh, my good buddy, Marcus Sheridan. Marcus Sheridan, I have seen him keynote an event two years in a row, three years in a row. The guy is amazing because so much of what he does is applicable to so many different aspects of your business. What I mean by that is he's a marketing and sales guy, Mm -hmm. predominantly marketing, but he's figured out how to talk about content marketing. And then he's figured out about how to talk about video specifically. And he's figured out about how to get your team motivated about creating content, which kind of skews more as an HR topic, right? And so he positions his general expertise into these very specific buckets that allow a meeting planner or a conference organizer to say, well, that's different. And we worked with them last year and our audience was rolling and they got a ton of great content and he was a delight to work with. Yeah, let's bring him back for some more. So how do you find that balance? Because there is kind of a fine line between saying like, sure, I have other you know, lateral topics that I could speak on that still kind of fall under the umbrella without being like, oh yeah, I can do this. I speak on everything. Yeah, what do you want (laughs) me to speak about? That's what I speak on. And and so like you can really start to stretch yourself thin quickly. Like how would you recommend a speaker like toe that line? 
I would say the first thing you want to do is before you worry about getting multiple speeches from the same event, focus on getting one. And the way you get one is by being very clear on your topic. Then when they've loved your presentation, try to, you know, trickle out new ideas to them and kind of give them a insider's perspective. So what I mean by that is, for example, my main speech that I give is about the first 100 days, Mm -hmm. the first 100 days of the relationship, how if you get those first 100 days right, you can have a customer for life. So the bulk of what I'm speaking about is customer experience and customer retention. In the last year, I've started speaking about a new topic, which is the changing face of the customer. And the premise behind this topic is customers aren't comparing you to the competition anymore. They're comparing you to the best experience they've ever had, whether that's with Amazon or Zappos or Tesla or Disney or whoever it is, that's who the competition is now. So in many ways, this is still a customer experience topic. So it's well within kind of my expertise and where I'm trying to position myself in the marketplace, but it allows me to come at it from a much more futuristic bent. Like this is the future of business. This is the future of innovation. In the world of meeting planners and conference organizers, they have marketing speakers, they have sales speakers, they have leadership speakers, they have innovation and change and disruption speakers. They have different boxes in their own minds. What you want to do is think about how you can get into those different boxes. So occasionally I'll speak about how focusing on customer experience enhances employee engagement. So that gets pitched as an HR speech, Mm -hmm. still the same general concepts. It's not diluting my brand, or at least I don't think it is, but it allows them to say, we're checking a different box for a different type requirement. And then everybody's happy because they know they're going to get the same high quality performance and something that I know you've talked about a lot on the show, but I think is hugely important is the experience of doing business with you. What are you like as a speaker to deal with? We both have been in the industry long enough to know there's some folks that are a complete nightmare to deal with. They're super divas. And, you know, it's a, it's a never cease to amaze me that the biggest divas are people that actually don't have diva status. Mm-hmm. The biggest quote unquote divas in the world who would have diva status are actually really down to earth and easy to deal with and right. fun. It's kind of this warped notion of, well, if I seem like I'm tough to deal with that, that'll create higher status for me in the room. And it's like, eh, not really. That'll actually get you not booked again. No, I think that's so true. And that's always been like a pet peeve of mine is like, if you're amazing on stage, which you're a pain in the butt to work with, like people don't want to work with you. You're not coming back. But the opposite is true. Like if you're amazing to work with and you're just, you're good enough on stage, you can be really successful as a You're going to be booked all day long, all day long. Because people want to work with you. They like being Mm. around you. 100%. I think one of the things I talk about in the area of customer experience a lot is we need to truly empathize and understand where our customers are at. And I think that holds especially true in the world of speakers. You know, being a meeting planner, being a conference organizer is a really difficult job. I mean, you know, we we talk about, you know, herding cats and how difficult it is, for example, to get entrepreneurs. Imagine an entire room full of people who don't want to be in their seats when the event starts. Imagine speakers who are flying in, doing their gig and flying back out. And so you're worried about whether they're going to arrive or not. You worry if they're going to be able to perform. You worry about their voice. You worry about their message and how all these things reflect on you and reflect on the event. And in an era where events cost more and more to attend and fewer people are actually going to the live events, the stakes are getting higher. 
Right. And so it really, how you are to deal with as a speaker, what you're like to deal with as a speaker really moves the dial and really impacts the overall experience for the meeting planner or the conference organizer. So one of the things you touched on earlier was what you should do after the event in order to maintain that relationship, build that relationship, cultivate that relationship long-term. So let's say if we back up for a second and say, okay, I just booked the gig and the gig is, let's say, six months out. What should I be doing between now and then to make sure that I, again, deepen and solidify that relationship? Yeah. So if I may, let me outline kind of what I see as the eight phases of the customer journey. I talk about this in the book because I think that'll give us a framework and a context for talking about this. So phase one is assess. This is when a prospect is considering whether or not they want to do business with you. They're trying to decide whether they want to book you to speak at their event. Phase two is admit. This is day one of the first 100-day cycle, right? This is when the prospect acknowledges that they have a problem or a need that they believe you can help with. And they say, you know what, Grant, you're my guy. I'm going to book you. You're going to come give a speech. Then we go to phase three, affirm. This is the buyer's remorse stage that sets in immediately after they've made the decision to book you. So all the brain science and the research shows us that the second they sign the contract, and pay your deposit, <laughs> they doubt the decision they just made. Yeah. Now, the event is six months away. You're probably not going to talk to them until some type of a kickoff or planning call about 30 five, days before the event. Right, right, so five, five months, months, five months of doubt, yeah. five months of going, oh my gosh, we made a mistake. Oh, what if it doesn't work out? Oh, we should have gone with that other speaker. Do, do, do. Five months where you're sitting back going, woohoo, I've got a date on the calendar and I got the deposit, yeah. the check cleared, everything's awesome. Right. And the client's going, I really am not sure if we made the right decision. Interesting. Then we get to phase four, activate. This is the first major show up and interact with you. So in the speaker world, this often is kind of the planning call or the kickoff call where you're going to talk in much more granular detail about the audience and what you're going to present and kind of how that's going to work. In the activate stage, you want to energize the relationship. You want to show the client that doing business with you is going to be unlike any other business experience they've ever had. And we can dive deeper into some things you can do in that phase to really set yourself apart from other speaker engagements they've had. Then we come to phase five, the acclimate phase. Okay. This is where the customer's getting familiar with you and what it's like to do business with you. So these are the days leading up to, and even at the event prior to your speech, these are all the interactions that they're having. Then we come to phase six, the accomplish phase. This is the phase where the customer accomplishes the goal they had when they originally decided to hire you. And that's when you get up on stage and you give your talk and hopefully your talk rocks the stage and everybody loves it and everything's amazing. Then we come to phase seven, which is we're starting to get into the phases that most speakers never touch, which is adopt. This is when the customer becomes so loyal to you and your brand and what you stand for that they're going to continue to do business with you and continue to turn to you as a trusted source, a trusted advisor, you know, somebody that they want to keep doing business with. And last but not least, phase eight, the advocate phase, when the customer becomes a raving fan, referring their friends and colleagues to you. Okay, if you can get a meeting planner or a conference organizer who's an advocate, oh man, that's worth the price of gold. You know what I mean? Because they're referring gigs to you left and right. I just had one of these happen the other day. I gave a speech three years ago and yesterday I had the person who was in charge of that say, Joey, I've got a client who's in a bind. They need help. 
I know that you're the kind of guy who can help them out. I don't know what I can do. Can I make an introduction? I'm like, are you kidding? Absolutely, 100% happy to help. Now, as it turns out, I can't speak at the event they need me to speak at because I'm already speaking at another event. But I called and I left a message for the president of the company last night after hours because I got the message. I was like, I got to try to get to these people immediately. I said, look, give me a call. I will find you the speaker. I will find you the person who will rock your stage, who will do an amazing job, who you'll love working with. I just need a little more details about your budget, your audience, and what you're trying to accomplish. Because I believe that the best speakers get other speakers work. Mm -hmm. You know, our mutual friend, Michael Port, does a great job of talking about this. You know, he brings it from the world of acting, right? Actors get other actors gigs. I believe the best speakers get other speakers gigs. So I'm constantly trying to find ways to connect my buddies who are great speakers with events that I know would be a great fit for them. Not only in terms of the message, but in the audience, the overall experience, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the eight phases. And now we can dive into each phase and kind of talk about what you can do as a speaker, whichever phases you think uh, we might want to explore for the listeners. Yeah. So I definitely want to dig into these eight phases. But if we zoom out for a second, we just say like, Joey, dude, this sounds like a lot of work, man. I just want to, I just want to book a, I just want to book I get a gig, it. you know. I get so if it. I'm being no, devil's it. advocate, just going like, I just want to book a gig, show up, do my little song and dance, my my little pony show, and then go home. Like, do I got to do all this stuff? Like, it just you you don't have to. But here's to the be thing: fair, do you like, want? I'm I'm being devil's advocate. But I totally I understand. No, Grant, trust me. I I get it. You. I get it. But this is the concern when people look yes. at it. They're like, man, this sounds like work. And I'm like, yeah. But here's the thing: there's this perception that we get paid our fee for the hour we're on stage. Right. Okay. That's not why you get paid your hourly fee on stage. Right. You get paid your fee for all the time you've put in getting the expertise, preparing the speech, rehearsing the speech, delivering the speech, being able to deliver no matter what's going on in your life. You know, that's the difference between a part-time speaker and a professional speaker. Professional speaker can be having the worst day in the world. And when they hit the stage, the audience thinks it's the best day of their life. Yeah. Right. To me, that's the difference between being a professional and being an amateur. I think in to your point, this sounds like a lot of work. It is. It is a lot of work. But this is what keeps business coming back to you. If you do these things, you actually don't need to do marketing. Mm -hmm. You don't need to do selling because there will be so many people referring business to you and coming to you saying, I heard you are amazing to work with. I hear you did an incredible job. The audience loved you, et cetera, et cetera. Your marketing becomes really processing orders that are already coming in, right? right? So I don't know about you. That's the kind of business I like to have. I like to have the kind of business where I'm not cold calling events saying, hey, I heard you might need a speaker. What about me? No, no, no. I'd much rather respond to the inbound request saying, you're the only speaker we're looking at. My boss said, I have to get you. What's it going to cost? And are you available on these dates? Yeah. That's all they want to know. And then you book it. Yeah. And then life is much more fun from there. So in the pre-booking phase, before you've booked anything and you have that assess and admit phase, what should speakers be doing in those two phases to really just make sure that the, they're setting themselves up for success and they're, they're beginning to provide that client a great experience even before they've been booked? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I believe that before you've been booked, that's when you should be foreshadowing what it's going to be like to deal with you. Yeah. So how responsive are you? Yep. I had a situation recently where an organization reached out and they uh, said, hey, we'd like to talk to you about this date. I responded within the hour with an email saying, hey, by the way, I've spoken to other groups like yours. Happy to introduce you to some of the folks that did that. Those dates do work for my calendar. This is what we'd be looking at budget-wise. If this sounds interesting, let's set up a call to talk about it because I'm definitely interested in presenting to your audience. 
I got a response back from the organizer that said, okay, first of all, no one responded back that fast. Second of all, no one responded back with the answers to the questions I had, which are, are you available and how much does it cost? Those are usually the top two questions. Because if you're not available, why are we even talking? And if you're out of my budget, why are we even talking, right? So immediately in the response, now some people might say, well, Joey, you know, what if they weren't in your budget? and you shared your cost in an email, you should share your cost when you're on the phone with them. No, 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 folks, the cost of my speeches are on my website. It's in the response email that goes back to every inbound inquiry because if we're not gonna be a good fit on the dollar side, there's no purpose in wasting your time or frankly my time having a big conversation if the budget's not there. So you wanna give them an experience of what it's gonna be like to deal with you. I think this is where you show how friendly you are. Mm -hmm. It shows how much you know your topic and how understanding you are of their needs, right? So if they're booking an event for a year from now, so I just booked an event for next September. We're recording this in August. It's 13 months away, right? There's no urgency there. They want to get it done. But if we get it done this week or next week, no big deal. The phone call I mentioned earlier where it was a referral from the meeting planner is for a speech in three weeks. Yeah. And their main keynote just had to cancel. They're desperate. So that's why I was like, boom, on the phone immediately. What can we do? Let me help you get this squared away in the next 48 hours because I know they're in a state of urgency. So really stepping into their shoes and figuring out what that's like. The admit phase is when they actually decide to go with you. And what are you doing to make that easy? What are you doing to make signing a contract with you easy? Is your contract read like it was written by a group of 38 lawyers who are trying to trick somebody with the legalese? And I'm a recovering attorney, so uh, full disclosure, right? But my, I actually don't send contracts. I send letters of agreement. Now, the crazy thing is a letter of agreement and a contract in a courtroom are the exact same thing. Yep. Yep. They're the exact same thing. But a letter of agreement sounds like something that a meeting planner can review and sign on their own. Yeah. A contract sounds like something, well, we better get legal involved. And I'm not trying to snooker anyone. I use very clear language. Here's what you're paying. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. No gray area. End of story. Really clear, really concise. The other thing you want to do in the contracting phase is recognize that the person you're sending the contract to may not be the person who's signing it. Mm -hmm. And the person who's signing it probably hasn't had any conversations with you and doesn't know who you are. Yeah. So in my contract, one of my personal pet peeves is when you get a business contract and the first four pages are about them. Let me tell you about how awesome I am due to do. And finally, you sift down to the end and we get to what we're actually doing. My letters of agreement are really straightforward. The first page is a title page. It has my logo and their logo. Why? Because if this guy took the time to find our logo, oh, he's got attention to detail. It's a little thing, folks, but it makes a difference. Second page, the full details of the agreement on a single page. Yep. Third page, signatures and invoicing timelines. Like, hey, by the way, you're going to pay a deposit on this date. You're going to pay the rest on this bit. Then we go to the marketing about Joey pages. Here's the page that has testimonials. Here's the page that has my bio. Here's the page that has links to videos. Because even though the person who's on the phone with me has already said, Joey, we're booking you. If they send that to the CEO of the company or the CFO or somebody else who's like, wait a second, how much does this guy cost? I want them to be able to see in that same document all the answers to their objections. I love it. Super simple. And I love like simple things like uh, we did the same thing. We always just, we call it an agreement, not a contract because a contract, it, again, just sounds scary uh, and intimidating. Yeah. I also like the, uh, 
the the simplicity and the importance of like the speed of follow up just like following up and even doing what you say you're going to do. So for example, if you touch base with a client, they say, Hey, our, our committee is going to be reviewing speakers in three months. Check back with us. Most speakers would be like, cool. Hope you think of me in three months. But <laughs> right. if you say, Hey, I see that your meeting is uh, October 15th. Do you mind if I touch base with you before then? And they say, sure. Thinking you're never going to actually do it. When you do again, it is that it blows their mind. Nobody does exactly. that. It's nobody showing, does it. This is nobody what it's does like it. to work with me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you let them know because here's the thing. The day of their event, there's going to be chaos. Totally. If you've been backstage at an event, it's chaos, period. That's yeah. why stage managers are such talented human beings because <laughs> they maintain an even keel and a low pulse no matter what's blowing up around them. If they sense that you're somebody who's going to be on time, who's going to be responsive, who's going to do the thinking so they don't have to, who's going to anticipate questions and scenarios that they might not have considered. Yeah. If you preview that, they know that day of, you're going to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Yeah. So let's talk about day of. So, or even just the like leading up to it and day of, what are the other things that we should be doing or considering or thinking about? So in the phases of the, the affirm, the activate, the acclimate, and then even the accomplish the speech itself, what are those pieces of uh, we should really be considering? Yeah. So on the affirm stage, as a reminder, this is where you're kind of addressing that buyer's remorse. Yeah. So the deal's been signed, they've done the deposit, and now we have six months until the speech. What I would do is you don't want to annoy that, that meeting planner or conference organizer, right? They've got a lot of things on their plate. But reminding them that you're excited about their event is a great way to let them know what's going on. So one of the things I try to do is let's send a handwritten thank you note thanking them for the business. Mm -hmm. Nobody sends handwritten thank you notes anymore. Yeah. That alone is going to make you stand out. About halfway through that period of that, let's say we've got five months, send them an article you've written, send them a podcast that you have, send them a, be like, hey, by the way, I've got this new example that's dealing with X, Y, and Z. I think it could be a good fit. I'm excited to talk to you on the planning call we have scheduled, but I just wanted to let you know I've been thinking about your speech. Letting them know that you're thinking about them is a great way to make them feel good about it. Now the activate phase, when we get to that kickoff call, come to the call ready to answer any concerns they have and prepared. So for example, one of the things they're going to ask about is, well, what are your AV requirements? I like to have a single sheet of paper document that has all my AV requirements that I email to them when I send the email to schedule the call. I say, hey, we're going to schedule our call. One of the things we're going to be talking about AV requirements, by the way, here are my list of requirements. And if you have any questions about those, don't hesitate to respond to this email or we can talk about it on the call. Now we've just crossed off one of their big agenda items. Right. What does this guy need? Does he need a confidence monitor? Does he want a lapel mic or a boom mic or a handheld or what's going on? What are we going to do? You let them know early on. Then when you get on that call, one of the things I always tried to do is say, what are there any messages that you want to make sure your audience hears that I can help you deliver? Mm -hmm. And what I often get is somebody say, you know, Joey, wow, we appreciate that. We've got this new initiative and we really want to do customers first. That's the phrase we're using, customers first. So could you, could you maybe work that into your speech? Absolutely, I can work that into my speech, yeah. right? And then they suddenly feel like, I'm speaking about the things that I speak about, my expertise, but I'm putting a twist on it that feels very personalized to them. Yep. So we, we have that call. Now we have the acclimate phase. So the acclimate phase is everything between that planning call 
and when you actually step onto the stage for your talk. So this is coordinating all the logistics. Again, be the kind of person that's, you know, either coordinate your own flights or if you're coordinating with them, be easy to deal with. One of the things I always do around flights is the second my plane touches down in their city Mm -hmm. and they say, you can turn your phones back on and we're taxiing. I open up my phone and I send a text message to the meeting planner and I say, hey, just wanted to let you know, my plane's arrived. I'm on the ground, going to be headed to the hotel. Look forward to seeing you soon. Because the biggest fear I think that meeting planners have is what if the speaker doesn't show? I was at an event last week where this exact same thing happened. The speaker was flying in from overseas, flying in morning of the speech, which by the way, pro tip, never, ever, ever fly in the morning of unless it's very clear to everybody involved and the client has signed off on it in triplicate. I've done it twice in my career. And both times I've been like, look, there's a chance I might not make it. And in both scenarios, I was speaking on day one of the event and we agreed that if I didn't make it, they could slide someone forward and I could speak the next day or the day after. Otherwise, I won't even take those gigs. So let them know you're there. Do the walkthrough, be around, be available to them. And then we get to the accomplish phase, show up for your sound check ahead of time be prepared, have your slides. If you have slides, have them on your laptop, have them on a USB, have them on a Dropbox folder, you know, whatever it may be. Be the kind of person that says, I'm a professional, I'm here ready to play. Have all your typefaces and fonts ready. If you're using sound, be ready to have, you know, make sure your speakers and sound, you've tested them and they work. Each additional element that you add that increases the degree of difficulty, you should prepare to have at least 15 to 20 minutes of your time there in advance to make sure their AV team is fully dialed in. Yeah. Because all of that stuff is just ultimately setting you up for success. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, a lot of people are like, geez, Joey, that sounds like a lot of work. Well, you know what's more work? Standing on stage, click and play on a video and there's no sound. (laughs) Or standing on stage, ready to rock, and you realize that there must be a dozen people who can't see the stage. And your presentation is very slide driven. Yep. Or whatever it may be. So there are lots of things I do. I come and I walk the room. Uh, I want to make sure that every seat has a good line of sight. And if they don't, I'll adjust my slides or my presentation accordingly. One of the things I do, which as I'm talking about this, I don't think I've ever discussed this on a podcast. Um, So breaking news, you know, insider tip. I walk the route the night before. So I will walk from my hotel room to backstage so that I know exactly where I'm going and how long it takes me. And I'm a little crazy that way. Like I'll leave in time, but I make sure that I know, okay, in the morning, if I need to be there at eight, I need to be stepping out of my hotel room at 745 because it's a 15 minute walk to the room. And I'm not trying to find the room the morning of. Yes, I'm finding the room the night before. And lots of times hotels are great about this, especially the bigger like conference hotels in Vegas. You can ask, for someone on staff and be like, I'm sorry, I'm in this tower and I need to get this room to this, you know, conference room. Can you show what's the best route? What's the fastest way to get there? They know this. They're used to dealing with professionals. And if you ask those type of questions of the hotel manager or the assistant manager, whoever's at the front desk, who's helping you in, they're happy to tell you, you know, I've had scenarios where they've said, oh yeah, you don't want to walk through the whole crowd of 5,000 people, right? Would you like to come through the back way? We can give you an access card that'll let you cut back behind the stage and get right in. Thank you. That's perfect. Let's do that. 
let's do that. That sounds glorious. But the, the other thing the that going you... to the stage after the stage, <laughs> I will go out with the masses 100%. But before I let's will lead the parade from the back. Exactly. But you even make a, a good point there of just a little thing of when you're doing a sound check, like most of the doors to the, the room are going to be open and it's easy to kind of get around and move around. But like at the at like a good size conference, there's going to be more doors that are locked. They're going to be restricting the flow of traffic. Getting backstage may be a little bit more difficult versus a sound check when you can kind of come and go as you please. So just all those like little logistics of, OK, I'm here and I need to get over there. What's the best possible way to get there? the actual time of the event or I'm in a I'm in the session that is the last three hours and I'm at the I'm the last part of the puzzle how do I need to get backstage because I know that that when I'm trying to get backstage there is a session happening at that moment you know there's something happening on stage so yeah just thinking through those little logistics and pieces like that all that stuff matters that makes a difference it does and let me tell you this is in my experience the way you get meeting planners to talk about you with other meeting planners is when you show up as a professional. You know, one of the things I always do, and, and some of my speaker friends tease me about this, if I'm speaking at an event, and let's say I'm the speaker at 4 p.m., I'll show up in the room at 9 a.m. and watch every speech, every single speech. And I'll let the meeting planner know that I'm in the room. I'll sit in the back mm -hmm. and I'll say, I'm in the room. So if you need to adjust something on the fly, if there's an issue with one of the other speakers, you need to move me forward. Don't hesitate to do that. You have any issues? Don't hesitate. So now they know they've got a little insurance policy, number one. Number two, I sit and listen to all the speeches so that when I'm giving my speech, I can refer to those speeches. Yep. So I can say, oh, remember earlier when Grant was talking about the importance of XYZ? This is how that shows up in yeah. my life, in my business. And now you're connecting the dots for the audience. Yeah. Audiences eat that up. Meeting planners love it because you're, it, it actually makes it seem like this whole thing was planned and orchestrated from the beginning, yeah. which it was. And what I've also found is other speakers love it when you shout out their speeches from <laughs> earlier in the day, this right? So you're making friends left and right. Everything's good. <laughs> Plus, it makes it seem like you're a professional and you know that they've come to this event. They're being inundated with content. What are you doing to help them connect the dots so they can take action when they get back home? Love it. This is great stuff. Okay. So we've come off stage. We finished the affirm, activate, acclimate, accomplish. Now we've got the adopt and advocate. So what are the steps after the talk is over? Because like you said, oftentimes we finish, sign some autographs, take some pictures and collect our check and I'm out. But there needs to be a lot. There's a lot more that goes into that to again, maintain that relationship for long term. So what goes into the adopt and advocate phases? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, if, if I may, before I get to that, I want to comment on something you just said. You know, we finish and we get everything done, then we collect the check. I try to collect the check before. Uh, and yeah, here's yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. I want the last interaction to not be a money transaction. Yeah. Right? Because everybody gets anxious about that. I, you know, I, that's just the human condition, right? We get anxious when money's changing hands. I like to have all that happen before I even get on the plane. So the way my contracts work, everything's paid in full 30 days before the event. Got it. So that we take money, which is often for a lot of people, a tense topic, mm -hmm. and we remove it from the conversation. Sometimes people will say, well, we have to pay you with a check when we get there. And that's fine. But what I find is when they do that, it's always super awkward because it's like, oh, I'm there and I'm excited. And they're like, oh, here's your money, you know, do, do, do. And I'm like, ah, you know, we could have done this before, but okay, that's, <laughs> feels you know. like a drug deal. It does. It does. It does. Hand over an awkward, and then you're walking around with a big check in your pocket yep. and it's just like, what are we doing here? Yeah. I think thinking about the experience of what the interactions are like with you is really important. After the speech, I always try to 
connect with the organizers right then and there and see if there's anything else they need. Usually they're in the middle of planning the whole event and there's other speakers. And I'll say, look, by the way, I'm still here. If there's anything else you need, don't hesitate to ask. You know, I'm going to be back out in the audience or I'm going to be here until tomorrow morning to, to do. And then I kind of get out of their hair. I let them know that I'm there and I get out of their hair. Then we follow up and, you know, follow up is thanking them for the gig. I'll do a follow-up call and ask them, you know, what kind of additional items can I provide to your audience? Um, lots of times I'll do, so, oh, in almost every speech I do, I do an audience survey where there are prizes. So I'll let the organizers know who won the prizes and then I send the prize. And I make these fun prizes, right? My, in my personal opinion, it's not a prize if you give someone something that has your name on it. Okay. So I'm not going to do a prize where I'm going to give away my book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or if I am going to give away my book, I'm going to give away, like I did one recently where we gave away a library of great books on customer experience. Mm -hmm. And then I said, oh, by the way, we'll include mine too. Yeah. Right. And, and so they're getting other stuff and like mine is, is put in with it. You get a Joey um, Coleman poster. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then what I do is on the, uh, we'll, I'll usually try to do a, a follow-up call after the event. Oh, how did things go? Is there anything more? And then what I will always ask is, and this goes back to that, you know, another Michael Portism, you know, good actors help other actors get gigs, right? One of the things I will do is say, great. So I know you're still recovering from this year's event. Mm -hmm. When you think about next year's event, what are you thinking in terms of the types of topics you'd like to cover? Because there's nothing I would love to do more than introduce some of my speaker friends who I know will rock the stage and do an amazing job for you to help you with your planning, whether that's today or six months from now or whenever you want to do it let me know what you need. And nine times out of 10, they say, oh, we would love a speaker on XYZ topic, or we'd really love somebody who can address this. Sometimes they say, Joey, we're not really sure yet. And I'll say, well, when do you think you might be sure? Because when you are, send me an email or, and they'll say, well, we have our planning meeting in February. Great. And so then I'll make a note of my calendar in February to reach out and say, hey, have you had your planning meeting yet? Are you looking for anyone? Who can I help you connect with? Yeah. Who can I help you find? Now you're not a speaker. Now you're a resource. Yeah. And I love, there's nothing I love more than getting my friends work. Yeah. There's nothing I love more because well, it's great because I know they're going to do a great job. Well, and not to mention like if, if, if you speak at something and then you refer Susie and Susie goes and speaks and Susie kills it and is amazing, you look really, really good. The exactly. client's going to keep coming back to you saying, who else you got? That who else amazing. should we get? What else totally. should we do? And, and then by the way that, hey, we're not going to have you back for five years. Suddenly that shortens to three years. Yes. Yes. Or two years, you know, hey, great. We had Susie in year two. We want to have you back. Can we it's just like, rotate oh, both of you? Exactly. Yes, you can. Exactly. Yes, you can. And, and how about we take that one step further? Because Susie and I are friends. Why don't we plan out the next four or five events with you? Yep. And we'll rotate topics back and forth. And we'll help you build a big strategy for how you're marketing your content to your audience. Yeah. Right. And so now you're part of the team and you're part of the solution instead of just, oh, here's our speaker vendor who we're going to get for one gig, sign up, and then they're going to move on and never remember us. Yeah. It, you know, all of this. To, to kind of put a bow on it, it all kind of reminds me of like like almost going to Disney. Like what's so magical about going to Disney? And you you can't really point to one thing that, oh, they did this and that's what that's what made it all. But it's like a hundred little touch points and a little tiny thing that it may be difficult to quantify looking back on retrospectively. But when you look at the big picture, you're like, working with Joey was just an amazing experience. It was real. I cannot recommend him. He was great on stage. And then, well, what did, what did he do? 
He just all the things. He just did all the things. Right. I don't know what to tell you, but all right. of those things culminated together and feeling like that was such a great experience. We have to work with this guy. We have to recommend. We have to refer him to other people. Exactly. And I think that's the the challenge and the opportunity in our business. See, we think it's all about one thing, how you perform on stage. Yeah. Folks, there are plenty of people that are great on stage and are obnoxious to deal with off stage. Yeah. You've heard the stories about musicians and performers that are just, you know, trashing the dressing room and, you know, right. getting in fights backstage and craziness. You want to be the person that they're like, oh my God, they were so easy to record. You know what I love even more than people saying the audience gave them a standing ovation? I love when the meeting planner says he was the easiest speaker that we've ever yes. worked with. Yes. He was a pro. He was on top of things. He over delivered. He was, you know, accommodating. He was flexible. That's part of the experience you're creating. See, I believe that every speaker actually has a minimum of three audiences. You have the people that are sitting in the room in front of you. Yep. Now that's the audience. Most speakers think about, right? You also have the meeting planner or the event coordinator who's doing all the logistics and planning behind the scenes. And then you have the sponsoring organization or the person who's actually writing the check, you know? And I believe that each of those audiences has different wants and needs and the best speakers in the world address all of those audiences and do their best to show up in special ways for each of those audiences. Yeah. Joey, this is so good, man. This so resonates with me. And I've always said like, again, if you're great on stage, but you suck behind the scenes, like, Oh, this stuff is not that like to me. And I think maybe to you, like, this is not that difficult. You just like to have to have processes and systems in place to do it. And like, cause you do this for like right. one event and like, okay, I can see how I can keep these plates spinning, but you multiply it out by 40, 50, 60, 70 events. And that's a lot of moving parts. But if you have systems in place for those things, you're just following a checklist of here's what needs to happen before the event. Here's what needs to happen during the event. Here's what needs to happen after the event. And it's all again, like simple, simple things, but it, again, just having the systems and structures in place to do them makes such a huge difference. It makes such a difference. Absolutely. I love this. I Absolutely. love this. Absolutely. And it, and it all contributes to the experience. And here's the thing. Let me be abundantly clear. Do I deliver on all these things every time perfectly? Absolutely not. Do I strive to? Absolutely. Yeah. But there are areas where I'll forget to send the thank you note or I'll send the thank you note and they don't get it. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I meant to do this type of follow up and then I didn't actually do it. That's why I'm such a big fan of creating the systems and processes in your business that allow you to just look down the list and say, yep. all right, have I done this? Have I done that? Have I done this? You know, and also giving it, recognizing that your client, the who is often a combination between the organization and the meeting planner or the coordinator, they're really busy too. And really recognizing that sometimes you'll send a communication across and you think, oh, that didn't work. When the reality is they got it, they just didn't have time to respond. Yeah. I often talk about this in the context of the thank you note for the thank you note, <laughs> right? Have you ever sent someone a thank you note and then you got a note back thanking them for the thank you note? It's really nice when that happens. Yeah. But don't do it because you expect that to happen. Right. Send it because you know it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And then if you never hear back from them, well, okay. That doesn't matter, but you had the last touch and hopefully it was a positive one. Creates this perpetual vicious cycle of trying to one-up thanking people. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. 
So uh, on that note, Joy, thank you for being here. We appreciate oh, it. Oh, my pleasure, Grant. My pleasure. It's always a delight to be on the show. I appreciate you having me back for Double Duty. No, uh, no, no. Thank you for taking the uh, time. <laughs> twice. No, thank you for always providing such great value to your listeners. Okay, back it out. We're done here. <laughs> uh, never lose a customer again. Turn any sale into a lifelong loyalty in 100 days. Uh, definitely encourage people to check that out. Soon they can get that at Amazon, Barnes Noble, wherever books are wherever, sold. Wherever books are sold. And since we're on a podcast, I always share. There's also an audio book, which I narrate. So if you've enjoyed listening to me, talk to you on the podcast today, you can listen to me in your ear as I narrate the whole book to you. All right. So in addition to the book, tell us again your website and where we can find more. So the website is joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a five-year-old you have in your life somewhere, probably. Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation. joeycoleman.com. Find all kinds of information there about the first hundred days and the eight phases your customers go through and, you know, what I do as a speaker and a writer, et cetera, et cetera. All the things. All the things. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate you. Thanks, Grant. Always a pleasure being on the show. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joey Coleman. Again, I'd encourage you to check out the book, Never Lose a Customer Again, that takes this eight-step process that Joey just walks through and breaks it down even further. Again, this is something you really want to be paying attention to as a professional speaker. It's so much more than just showing up, doing a gig, going home. It's really making sure that you have a process, a system, a structure in place to provide a great experience from the first time that you interact with the client to maybe months, maybe years from now that you continue to build that relationship with that client. This stuff really makes a difference. Hey, again, if you want more advice, more tips, more strategy, more opportunity to connect with other speakers, get your questions answered, provide feedback and support, definitely check out our new free Facebook group over at the Speaker Lab Group. Group.com, the speakerlabgroup.com. Again, there's over 10,000 speakers that are already in that group. So make sure you stop by, check it out. It's a totally free group. Again, you can find over at the speakerlabgroup.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome. <laughs>